0: Hello oh, and welcome to another edition of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College.
1: And I'm Chad Carlson, professor of kinesiology and director of general education at Hope College.
0: And we're coming to you from the audio studio of Our Daily Bread, a ministry whose mission is to make life-changing the life-changing wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to all. Our Daily Bread is doing that here in their headquarters in Grand Rapids, but also in 37 offices around the world, distributing resources to over 150 countries. We're very grateful that Our Daily Bread is allowing us to record Dig Deep here in their audio studio.
1: This is the official podcast of the Second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity. And only 15 months separates us from that event. We're very excited about what we have going on, bringing keynote speakers, bringing professors, bringing chaplains, bringing pastors, bringing anyone interested in the conversation on sport and Christianity here to Grand Rapids on the campus of Calvin College, October 23 to 27, 2019. This is the second global congress on sport and Christianity. You can follow us. Our website is www.calvin.edu slash events slash 2GCSC or follow us on Twitter at sporttheology.
0: And you can also find us on iTunes. When you look up "Dig Deep" podcast about sport, faith, and life. And I had to chastise Chad this morning a bit because he came in lamenting that not a lot is happening in the world of sport. And of course, this morning, just not come now. Just this morning, (laughs) uh, the start of the Open. Some in the states will call it the British Open, but it's just called the Open, which is a fantastic major golf tournament. And right now uh, they're playing because, uh, you know, England is, or Scotland, where it is at Carnoustie, is five hours earlier than, uh, than where we are. Jordan Spieth is off to a pretty, pretty good day. Kevin Kisner, I think, is in the lead at four under. Pretty exciting tournament. I think uh, the course is playing very hard and very fast. It's going to be very interesting. The, the greens are soft and the fairways are hard. I think we'll see some low scores out there this week. And and I don't even know why I'm saying this to you, Chad, because it's golf. Do you know what golf is? Yeah,
1: my eyes are glazing over a little bit as you say this. But I will say golf uh, or any other sport, it is fun to be able to follow something when you wake up in the morning, knowing that there is something going on in the world of sports somewhere in the world. And we have to see it in the, in the World Cup. But certainly anything that goes on in, in continental Europe or, or Great Britain, it's fun to, to follow at a different time of day. We're so... We're so used to following primetime, time, big time sport at the end of the night or in the evening here in the U.S., aren't we?
0: Well and we have, uh, we're kind of used to it now if you followed Wimbledon at all, which was a lot of fun as well. So last week we had Wimbledon, this week we have uh, the U.S. Open. Uh, lots of good sports to follow in professional sport here in the United States, a few trades, the off season, lots of things happening uh, in preparation for American football. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of that happening, yet today I think what we're going to do is going to be off script a little bit in that we're not going to flow or talk from some of the things that are happening in sport. Instead, we're going to uh, take some time to answer a question that one of our listeners sent to us. Uh, this We won't name this listener, but it represents a topic that I, pr- I probably get uh, more questions about this than anything else. Yeah. And it's from parents talking about this whole phenomenon of youth sport chad how much youth sport did you play when you were a kid
1: oh it it it, in my memory at least it filled every waking hour of my day uh, especially in the summer but even even during the school year after school it, it felt like that's so much of what i did and i know it wasn't but it just felt that way because sport held such a place in my heart how about you
0: I was uh, also a lover of sport, and, and as I get older, I realize, you know, I, th- I thought everybody loves sport, but
1: not everybody
0: does. What? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, yeah I thought everybody loves sport, <laughs> but uh, I hate to admit this, but I'm a bit older than you, and I was a little before sort of the era of youth sport, the, the sort of uh, meteoric rise of organized teams. Hmm. Uh, I played seasonally. So mm-hmm. I played lots of different sports. Uh, it was typically football as a kid or basketball or baseball in their seasons. But this was before things like travel teams developed. Mm-hmm. Did you pl- play on travel
1: teams? I did. I did. And I was probably at sort of the forefront of, of some of that. It seemed like um, that was on the rise in certain sports. But it also seems like today there's just so many more options, even even from from when you and I were were growing up, uh, as different as that as those eras may have been, <laughs> um, kids are faced with a lot of options. You know, how, what sports do you want to play? How many do you want to play? How often do you want to play them? Do you want to play them all year round? Certainly, you can't do all of them, but uh, which ones do you want to play year round? There are opportunities there,
0: and there were some options back in the 1970s um, at the moment of Title IX. Which uh, mm. changed some things for girls that sure. were interested in sport. Uh, I think I did some I did some research at a location where I used to live, just looking at the recreational options, and there were something like thirteen different sports offered year round by the local parks wow. and rec for yeah. boys and two for girls in nineteen seventy. Interesting. Sure. A, uh, a decade later, in nineteen eighty, there were fourteen for girls and thirteen for boys, they and so just it, in yeah. a in a ten year period. Mm. Uh, the women had the girls had essentially at least in this location caught up and that's fairly representative of how things had gone throughout the United States obviously your location uh, plays a major role in what youth sport means to you in uh, in the United States it means one thing but also it's very different in urban environments than in rural mm. environments and suburban and it's also true that around the world youth sport means something very different we're probably gonna talk from mostly our perspective here in the United States, but it is interesting, even with this meteoric rise in youth sport, since about 2011, youth sport is starting to, to drop off. It's dropping off in terms of participation, sure. and a, a lot of people have different explanations for that, uh, but one of them is cost. Most youth sport now has made its way to youth travel teams and what happens is these travel teams gain a lot of attention and allure which attracts most of the talented players. Most of the kids that are really interested in sport look for teams that you have to pay for. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it may have been $20 or $25 or $50 even. Back in the days of Parks and Rec you get a t-shirt, we share a baseball bat. But now, my son played on a travel team, just a local one that kind of went regionally, maybe you know, three, four tournaments a summer. And we played against some of these teams and we would talk to the parents on these teams. There were $20,000 initiation fees. Oh my gosh. $20,000 and they traveled around the country by plane. Oh my gosh. And these were 11, 10 and 11 year olds. Uh, amazing. The, so, oh my gosh. It is becoming. People are lamenting that about soccer. We just talked about sure. the World Cup. People yeah. are lamenting that all of these sports, especially in the United States, because of the industry, because of the love for sport, people have figured out people will pay for this. Sure. Therefore, fewer opportunities exist in parks environment, parks and mm. recs environments, in municipalities that are pulling, that used to pull kids towards sport those are just going away because those kids are getting getting sort of bored with them sure they're they're not very interesting anymore
1: there's sort of a change from the the public nature of some of these youth sports that they're run by the the local recreation department the local community to to now being privatized and run by clubs for money with professional coaches who uh, who parents have to pay for but so much of this like you said Brian is cost prohibitive and um, you talked about uh, the ways in which there have been more opportunities for females and the ways in which youth sport is growing around the world. And yet, uh, for so many who don't have the socioeconomic means, um, the ability to participate in youth sport is, is decreasing. And that's where we're seeing some of the decreases is, is because of the cost for families that can't afford that. And also, I think we're losing out on sort of the, um, the moderately interested young athlete. Right. You know, no longer is there an option to just play seasonally that there's so much pressure to do more than that and to work on it in the off season even. So the, for the kid that, uh, for instance, is is not all that crazy about the game but loves to do it just because friends are there and because it's something to do and it, it tracks with um, the high school season maybe or the professional season. Right. No longer is that athlete really fully welcome as he or she was even just a couple of decades ago. I think what we've done is
0: just open the can on youth sport and it seems like there's a lot in that can doesn't it there is uh, there's there we did we have not gotten to the the individual youth sport experience uh, for athletes and for parents and coaches and those sorts of things so maybe to help us get there a little bit I'm gonna I'm gonna go to our listeners question right and we'll course. see if we can unpack that a little bit sure. Uh, the listener writes, My son played in his first, and she called it Gus Macker. Yeah. All Gus right.
1: Macker. Do you know what Gus Macker is? You know, I do. I grew up playing those. They're they're really, really a lot of fun, and yet, boy, they can get intense.
0: So Gus Macker is a three-on-three outdoor basketball tournament. Uh, in uh, different parts of the place where we live, Gus Macker is actually fairly famous, but Gus Macker has moved in, in a number of places. If you've not played in it before, you, s- you set up... Uh, Goals either in the streets or on a parking lot, and people play basketball
1: right there in a three
0: on three format.
1: Sure. By goals, you mean baskets, correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. Thanks. Sounds like an antiquated term to me.
0: I think Smith <laughs> used it. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yep. He told me about it. <laughs> so she writes He's 10 years old and is hardwired with grit and competitiveness. It's I, good. It's a good start for the kid. I think it could have described me back in the day, me also. Sure. Yeah, exactly. He went from MVP and all smiles on Saturday to learning a hard lesson in humility on Sunday. We, we won't get to that idea of Sunday play at this point, but <laughs> we'll come back to that maybe another time. His team played a team that, was f- that were flat out better ballers, she describes. Mm. So here's her son's reaction. He had a poor attitude in the game and arrogantly walked off the court after shaking his head. So the game is over, or I I can't quite tell yet, maybe even before the game is over, he realized, I'm out of here. Yeah. And off he went. Hmm. So according to her, then uh, she had to respond as a parent, and she and her husband both had the same reaction. So apparently the boy's father had a conversation with him, ended up walking over uh, to him and saying, you have to go back. And shake hands and so that's what he did Uh, but it's interesting her response and her husband's response after this because both of them thought well if you don't like losing you need to practice Mm -hmm. more you need to spend more time in the gym I'm sure they were very disappointed with his behavior Mm -hmm. but they're also that same grit and competitiveness it shows up in parents Mm. and parents want to help their kids succeed. They certainly want to help their kids uh, have moments of joy and you know that all smiles experience that he had on Saturday and their initial thought is okay in order for you to do this you're gonna have to practice and then she caught herself in the middle of this and she says what are the realistic expectations of young kids in sports regarding practice? She and her husband ask themselves do we press him to go out and practice or should we just tell them as a 10 year old to be a kid yeah
1: such a great question you know at the age of 10 I and mean, that that's still really young in youth sports and in the world of sport in, in general um, and so what do we do with a 10 year old that's such a great question what are the what, what should the expectations be the kid hates to lose so many young athletes hate to lose right and, and in some sense we're not even prepared to handle losing at that age um, so, so what do we do as parents? This is a great question and, uh, and one that I think we can spend some time here unpacking. What are the expectations of this kid, a 10-year-old who hates losing and who is not acting in a healthy way when he does lose? That so many of us have done. We, we've, so many of us have experienced that and have lived this way. So we're talking about character development here in some sense for these parents dealing with that, but also dealing with the consequences of losing. If you don't like losing, what do we do about it?
0: And so it's easy for us to say, you know, the kids should go out and practice. But as a 10-year-old, I think one of the things that has happened with this youth sport phenomenon is that fewer and fewer kids have the capacity or the ability or have practiced playing or practicing on their own. Uh, The idea of generating your own self-directed play that is beneficial for sport. I mean, I remember throwing the baseball up on the roof because there was no one to play with. You throw it on the roof.
1: Did you have a brother?
0: Uh, he was l- quite a bit younger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And he was no good, by the <laughs> way. Yeah. So that's what you get. I mean, no talent whatsoever. I really hope he's listening. So I throw it on the roof, and you wait for that ball to fall off, and you practice catching it. The same thing if you found a place, a, a brick wall or a yeah. block wall, throw mm-hmm. stuff off the block wall. I would hit tennis balls oh, off yeah. a block wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember... Uh, chipping golf balls in the small patch yard where we where we had an opportunity uh, I didn't have my own club so I had to learn uh, right-handed I'm left-handed and I had to learn right-handed but I just wanted to do it I wanted to mm. get better at things and and that goes to a person who loves sport somewhere somewhere along the way I had developed this love mm-hmm. and researchers talk about this love in fact they they investigate people that have become highly successful and try to figure out what helped them get to this place and this is often helpful when I talk to parents this idea that this love is not necessarily uh, inborn it can be generated and yet at the same time if you skip this step chances are your efforts early on as a as a 10 year old aren't really going to pay off in the way that you expect in in other words if you don't love what you're doing if you don't keep that love going and nurturing that interest and that what people will call a passion then people will burn out quit lose interest and that's okay for people to move away from sport but if you're really interested you gotta take time to develop that love and that includes uh... things that are are enjoyable being successful but also some opportunities for self-directed play
1: sure so it seems like there are so many kids that love the the battles the competition the tournament's actually playing in the games right so this ten year old being at the Gus Mac that's that's something that's it's a much easier for kids to love just because right. there's competition there and, and a t-shirt and, a t-shirt and medals sure trophies medals all that sort of thing there are real tangible rewards Speed there
0: freeze after the game yeah Yep, yep,
1: all that stuff. That, that that makes it fun, right? And mm-hmm. um, and so it's easy to love that stuff. But what you're talking about is loving playing on your own, even when there's nothing at stake, even when there's nothing to win. It's just the ability to, to play and to do that on your own or with friends outside of adult supervision, outside of the purview of trophies and T-shirts and anything else that might come as a result of winning or losing. It's just a matter of falling in love with the activity. right. And wanting to grow and develop on your own as opposed to being pushed by this person or that person or this extrinsic reward or that extrinsic reward.
0: And so as parents, you're challenged or as coaches to develop or instill a sense of hard work and discipline without an extensive pressure that gives an opportunity for this romantic phase to process this opportunity to fall in love with the activity, to fall in love with the movement. Ultimately, all those things that you talked about are peripheral. Mm-hmm. You know, the the free T-shirts, the uh, the awards, the the food that goes with it. And in some ways, even the bonding and friendships, you can find that in other places. Sure. You don't necessarily need sport for those things. So those elite performers, those people that end up uh, as uh lifelong lovers of a particular sport they go through that romantic phase but it's not a an obsessive one it's actually one that takes time uh, and it happens within a more balanced life most often when you look at elite performers they have spent time playing other sports they have spent time doing other things every once in a while you get sort of that story of Tiger Woods Mm -hmm. that single focused kid who from and from diapers really onward loved something and continued to work on it and that becomes our template for how mm. elite success happens and the truth is most people aren't like that no
1: it's a horrible story because it's a it's a pot of gold in the, the rainbow nobody so few people find that right it doesn't work for the, the majority of people and yet we see that working one time with Tiger Woods and we think it can happen to my kid if I act in the same way.
0: So talent development is a process. And so to this mother, we would say, at first, understand that this love needs to be gained. Sure. And he may look like he loves basketball at this point. Mm-hmm. But chances are he doesn't. Sure. He loves all the things that go along with it. And, and that includes usually a lot of effort from mom and dad. That means mom and dad throwing him in the car, paying the entry fee, bringing him to a particular place, when you love basketball, it's when you shovel the driveway from the snow and you practice, yes. and which I, I used to do all the time. You'd have to shovel kind of the free throw line, yep. and you'd shovel down by the basket, and the ball would be frozen. I'm talking. I'm sorry, there are parts of the world that haven't seen uh-huh. snow. <laughs> God bless you. This. We, it's frozen.
1: Uh, this, this The fun part about this, and I did the exact same thing, is how big a spot underneath the basket do I shovel? If I shovel a small area, I got to make every shot. You got to make them. Because that ball is falling in the snow. So it's kind of a challenge.
0: It is. It's a risk, right? It's and a you don't want to shovel. You don't want to spend your time shoveling. No, so, you don't. That's right. Yeah. Day to day, we would go out there, and your hands get freezing cold. You warm your hands back up, and then you uh, continue to play. Uh, you'll see that sort of love begin to nurture. I, I also um, have been looking at some research in other areas that talks about this idea of passion, where mm-hmm. people. Uh, I see this with college seniors uh, and freshmen that are told, you know, you need to follow your passion. And, and that can actually be really paralyzing. Sure. This idea that somehow in me I have this passion. Passions almost always are developed. Mm-hmm. They're not an aha moment. It's not something that you'll know immediately. You start acquiring skills, you get a certain amount of success, and then you continue on in that direction. And so the same is true about sport. You might have a general interest in something mm-hmm. like Gus Mack or, hey, I want to play, hey, I want to be good. Not every kid is going to have that uh, desire to put in the hard work that is necessary, the discipline that is necessary to develop to each different level. Right. And I tell parents that's okay, mm-hmm. but you want to try to set the environment. If you see little signs of that love for a particular sport see if you can continue to nurture
1: that yeah that's a great point you know i remember a couple of years ago uh, brian there was a uh, a women's college basketball coach from somewhere in wisconsin and her team had just gotten blitzed by another team and in her post-game news conference she began sort of lamenting the state of the sport overall And she had sort of this refrain that she came back to time and again during this post-game interview. And she says, get your butt in the gym. Hmm. And basically she was saying all the kids on her team and virtually every other team now, they think they're going to be good shooters. And when they don't shoot well, they don't go in the gym to get better. They just expect it's going to happen. She says, get your butt in the gym. Should do you think Steph Curry just became a good shooter because he was born that way because his dad was in the NBA? No, get your butt in the gym. And she says, you want to become a better shooter? Get your butt in the gym. And it was so, it, this is memorable to me because my, my kids and my nephews heard it, and they were like three or four at the time. And so that was like the one thing they wanted to say, get your butt in the gym, <laughs> right? This refrain, and it was, it was hilarious to hear it. So there's some real truth to that, right? That, that developing skills is what makes a player a player. And over time, as you develop skills, you also will likely develop a passion for that particular thing you're doing. However, we're still talking about a 10-year-old. We are. And it is,
0: it is sort of the essence of sport that we want to develop. We want to excel. In fact, there are a lot of recreational activities that we participate in, we enjoy, we have fun. But the point is not to excel or get better or ultimately compare. And so when people say to me, "Should I f- my son really doesn't want to play this year, but should I force him? That, I get mm-hmm. that question sure. a lot. Should I force my 9-year-old, my 10-year-old? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's this societal pressure that somehow if you miss out on youth sport, you're going to be... Uh, Your kid's going to be like an alien. Really, there you go. Right. That's exactly right. right. And so uh, God made us to play. There's no question that, that inherent in, a, in, a, in us is this desire to play. But play is something larger than sport itself. Sport is a derivation of play organized sport particularly sure, a it's, subset yep. it's a subset mm-hmm. it's it if you think about playfulness we see that we see that in animals we see that in humans sure. this desire to uh, enjoy life uh, and there are scriptural signs of God even being playful. Sure. But the form of organized sport is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so all kids need to play, but not all kids need to play organized sport. If you are seeing signs that they're, they may be interested, or they may like it, things like Gus Macker are a really good start. And then see if they continue to shoot, uh, sh- dribble, carry a ball around, work, do those things that you said, get your butt in the gym, give yourself an mm-hmm. opportunity to get a little bit better so that the next time around they perform a little better in a competitive environment
1: you know it seems to be that with parents that that we want to know how to best uh, you know direct our kids and and with sport i think sometimes we see that you know our child's success or ability to do well in sport is a direct reflection of who we are as parents and and yet it seems to me that we need to be able to take a, a step back from all of that and and it's not easy to do though in this competitive world and and so often as parents we do compare our kids to other kids or what we're doing as parents to what other people we know are doing as parents and it's it's difficult it's not an easy thing to do so um... so what are we saying to this uh, to our listener here the the parent of the ten-year-old
0: well first of all thanks for writing in absolutely it's great for us to both Chad and I kinda talk this through and see if we can end up in a place where we give some advice and in this case We're excited about this opportunity for her son to have a moment where some of this stuff becomes a little more clear, Mm -hmm. right? And so in this moment, he was excited because he was winning. He was dejected because he lost. He has to do some self-assessment. I didn't really measure up. All of a sudden, I met up against players that are better than me. As a parent, then, you want to try to refocus and challenge that moment how much do you want to be better the next time and if that's the case uh, it's okay for parents to lay out for their kids what it takes to get better at a particular thing we do it all the time with school we do it all the time with musical instruments what we do is we say this is what it will take for you to get from here to here Mm -hmm. i hope that we can set it up in a way that you can you can spend some time working on those things at the same time Anyone that becomes hyper-focused, hyper-obsessed is more likely to burn out. And so we would say you do that within the context of him being a playful kid doing some, a lot of self-directed activity. Let him make some choices to be able to see if this passion can develop.
1: Sure. And I would also say that as parents, we can, we can certainly help. Our kids be able to separate um, sort of two things going on here. There's winning and losing, but we so often equate winning with happiness and joy, and losing with feeling dejected and feeling bad about ourselves and ashamed. Those things don't have to be correlated. Winning doesn't always mean that. And that's not the only way that we can have a good experience playing sports. If we win, we've got to be able to see um, after our our child loses and feels dejected, that we can still come up and ask, "Hey, did you enjoy yourself?" It was a great game out there. It looked like you were having a lot of fun while you were playing, uh, that we don't have to equate losing to not having a good experience.
0: And I think that's a good place to end because I, that's a whole new topic. When we start talking about competition and the fact that a 10-year-old needs to deal with this very complex topic, there's there's really no shallow end for competition. <laughs> there's really no training wheels that we can wear to try to figure out if we're good at competition. We throw them right in, and in this case, he didn't handle it very well at least according to a parent his parents he didn't handle it very well this whole idea of competition in sport is pretty murky and we'll come back to it at another time but at this time we just want to thank our listener and we want to encourage other listeners to send in questions and we'll do our best to respond to them as time allows this is dig deep the podcast about sport faith and life thanks very much for listening <laughs>